0: where you will be able to access past shows, find out more about me and our guests, as well as purchase the beautifully illustrated Financial Foundations books that teach kids about money in a fun, healthy, and holistic way. Hello once again,
1: and thank you for joining us for the Financial Fund Podcast. We have a wonderful guest today, Super Dave Bruno. Thank you for joining us, Dave.
2: You're very welcome, Tammy. I'm excited to be here.
1: So, Dave, tell us a little bit about your family. What is your family situation?
2: Well, I'm married and have two kids. Sounds very classical, but we've done it a little differently. So we've spent the last 20 years in Switzerland. So my kids grew up speaking German and Swiss German. My wife is German. So my son is a scorpion. I'll try to tell you something a little different. He's 12, and he really has a stinger in his tail. He's a power pack. And then my daughter is two, so we did a uh, 10-year difference on the kids. Um that was pretty exciting because uh, he really takes care of her. So
1: That's wonderful. Um, sometimes it's good to space out. Some people say it's good to put them together, no matter what, as long as it works.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if there's one plan. Uh, most people in Switzerland do what I call two and two, two kids, two years, done. Um, we didn't feel that efficient. We were both busy, my wife's an actress, and we had careers going on, and so the second kid is like a dessert. It's like fantastic. We have a totally different experience perspective.
1: Very cool. Very cool. And what is your business? What has you passionate,
0: Dave?
2: Well, I am working on something that I'm a little bit in love with. It's called Insights Advice. Um, it's a product we built to get into deeper relationships in financial advisory. We built it out of the original lab at UBS, uh, doing innovation there. I was the innovation head, and um, you know, it's it's difficult in an ultra high net worth environment, but in an affluent environment here in the U.S. It's really taking off. So this concept of we can observe people and come up with a better sense of how to advise them rather than ask them these stochastical, questionary things like, do you want to lose 10% in the market? Yeah.
1: Nobody wants to lose anything in the market.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's what I'm really passionate about because I see this huge white space since years or Greenfield, and it's getting beyond risk profiling and KYC and the things that really matter to your clients. What are they passionate about? If if, As an affluent, what businesses do they want to launch? Are they bored in their job? What's their next career? These are things that an advisor, a really trusted advisor, talks about, and yet nothing captures that. So we're trying to help better enable advisors to do that.
1: Oh, very interesting. As I tell people all the time, the number one part of my job is marriage counseling.
2: Yeah, right?
1: (laughs) Looking after the numbers and putting together the plan, do that in my sleep, but it's getting to what are their actual real concerns and what has them excited and worried and... All of that stuff that very few people have any clue on how to get into.
2: That's right. And I feel bad for advisors because we monetize investment management, but we actually spend all our time on financial planning, wealth conversations, um, other topics. How's your kids? How's the sickness going? How's your wife? How's the second family? You know, And those things are super core to the financial plan and how you actually holistically advise. And yet, There's no real tools to capture that, to observe that stuff.
1: No, and it's not something that is is taught. Like all the all the good stuff we have to kinda stumble around and and learn on our own, not just as financial advisors, but as as parents and spouses. Like how do you have a good relationship? How do you communicate? How do you deal with differences of opinions and not come up with all these ideas that are going on in your head but are not reality?
2: That's right. And one of the most interesting, unexpected use cases we've had with this product, Insights Advice, is a spousal advisory situation. So an advisor has this uncomfortable role. It's not a marriage counselor. It's not a pair psychologist. And yet you find yourself between two people with competing interests and passions. And so what our tool does is it observes the two different sets of priorities extends them out into what that could mean for finance, markets, products, personality, topics to talk about, and then lets the advisor have a better conversation with the couple. It's really uncomfortable situations at times.
1: Oh, yes, very much. You have my full agreement. Many, many years of experience on that side. So when when you're dealing with... Because kids are, are a huge part of it, and there's there's no such thing as a standard family. I don't think there ever was, but there definitely isn't now. You've got blended families. You've got kids of various ages and different needs and abilities and dreams and stuff. How much of the time do you find that the, the kids come into the conversation and concerns for the parents?
2: All the time because, well, I, I came from UBS, so the kids are 55 right? I mean, the clients are 70, 80. These are people who own 20, 30, 40 companies. They've got armies of people. Mm -hmm. But in any context, um, the, the, the mistake that some of the industry sometimes makes is it sends out content based on age and wealth and microgeography rather than the person. And some of that personal stuff you can get off of publicly available sources or just observing them. So A grandmother, a new grandmother, may not necessarily be interested in retirement income. She may be interested in how to get her millennials into the best university or technical school uh, according to their passions and how to finance that. So, in a lot of cases, the advisor may be cued to send the wrong content from their firm. Hmm. And that's something where we can correct for that and actually make a much better opportunity for a relationship that's trusted.
1: And how often do you find that they're wanting to? Make sure that their kids are better educated on the on the financial side because one of the things that I've always dealt with is my my clients are going. I don't want my kids to make the same mistakes I did and miss out on the same opportunities because I just didn't know.
2: Yes, um, I want to focus on one topic there, which is the educational one, not just about finance but education. So some of the universities really promote getting technical functional degrees, mm-hmm. because you get out of the box quickly, they can claim high employment statistics with so-and-so firms, PWC, ENY, Deloitte, whatever. And that's opposite to the general arts degree, what used to be considered, you know, art history degrees, um, philosophy degrees. These people tend to have a wider perspective and actually, in the longer term, have a better shot at running a full business, mm-hmm. right? even if not an entrepreneur, they may end up running a division at a company because they start out slow, but they have a much wider perspective. And so the education of children on financial topics to me is a subset of that whole discussion. Should my kid really focus in and become a coder and get a job and really start that career path and two kids and whatever, or do we want to give them the opportunity to be the president of a college themselves? Mm-hmm. And it's a hard decision for for parents to think about when talking with their kids. The advisor definitely plays a role.
1: Well, yeah, and I think it also has an awful lot to do with the kids because some kids are very much set for, like you said, the entrepreneurship, the big view and stuff, and some really do need to focus. It's not one is right or one is wrong. It's what is appropriate for that person and then giving them the best skills for what they have and what they need.
2: My gosh, yes. How many kids have you seen? I say kids loosely here. I mean 18-year-olds who drop after the first or second year of uni paying 25, dollars $40,000 for those one or two years and realize, God, I really want to drive a dump truck. Yep. And there's nothing wrong with driving a dump truck and owning a dump truck company and excavating. You can be a millionaire very early doing that if you're in the right place. So it's really about where's their passion and not forcing them to a decision. So for me, it's not teaching my kid how to save money. It's teaching my kid how to think about their opportunities in the world that they're passionate about.
1: Yeah, I very, I very much like that. Like my, my two girls are are very different from one another and have have different skill sets. And yes, while well, university and stuff is really good and my, my one daughter is looking at going into software engineering perfect for her. The other daughter isn't quite so sure what she wants to do and more general and different things. It's, do you like what you're doing? Do you have the ability to adapt to our changing times, which are wild and crazy right now, and they're not going. You're not picking your career for the rest of your life like our grandparents used to. Like statistically, they're looking right. at seven total and complete career changes before they're done. How are they able to navigate that?
2: Now I spoke with the lady yesterday, who's um, a couple years before retirement, and she described to me how she studied poli sci at uni. Um, to get into law and completely change that because her passion was technology. And technology back then wasn't desktop computers. And she saw this opportunity for networking and she loved it. Yeah. And so her whole career exploded just by following that passion, even though the market wasn't there yet. And so she made good decisions, even though she was badly advised along the way um, from the various firms she was in. And I think for our kids now, it's the same. It's a gig economy. There's no defined benefit pension plan. To slave away for and try for early retirement at fifty five you've got to make your own nest egg now, yep. and so how are you going to actually make an impact about something you care about, and the money will follow that rather than thinking i'm going to sit at digital computer digital equipment corporation for forty years and make money
1: well yeah and it's not it's also one of the big things that i'm 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 finding for the younger people in particular, but even people my age and stuff, because like you said, the divine benefit pension plan doesn't exist anymore there is no such thing as job security you can get pink slip for absolutely anything completely out of your control and people are going i'm not going to give up my life i'm not going to work 18 hours a day six days a week for a company i want to make sure that i am having a life i want and enjoy now because that retirement that my grandparents had they don't see it ever happening for them
2: that's right. And, and to any advisors, I know you have a, a wide advisor population who listens to this. Um, I think getting into those conversations with clients is super interesting because I haven't met many people in a corporation who are happy. And I mean happy in the sense that, gosh, this is totally killing it. What I wanted to do. Most are doing side hustle now. Most are doing gigs, whether 50 or 25. Yep. Um, they're, they're launching events on the weekend, digital uh, seminars, they're podcasting, they're webinaring. There's so much activity and it's it's actually the more authentic person
1: yes i fully agree like and our the corporations have power but where the jobs and and everything seems to be switching we're going more to the small business and the solopreneur and people doing what they want to do and and mixing it up like that way nobody's signing up going you know what i want to sign up and get a job with ge for the next 45 years
2: that's right Tammy, and i myself my last corporate job probably ever was UBS because it's about all I could stomach. Once you get into senior management and you see all the knives, you see how much politics there are and how hard it is to launch your ideas into actual executable businesses, at some point you kind of like grow out of it, mm-hmm. like you mature, you mature out of corporate. And I know that sounds weird, but I kind of grew out of it. And, and I can only work in smaller companies that are more agile now.
1: Yes. Yes, my passion are the, like the solopreneurs or the really little ones because they have the control and they have the dreams and it's not piles of bureaucracy and red tape and internal politics.
2: Yeah, at the same time though, I think that for young people corporate and, and for, for advisors talking with families, working at a corporate is actually great experience because you see every angle and all the complexity in its full manifestation.
1: Stepping stone, yes.
2: Stepping stone.
1: stepping stone, like you said, I, I, I remember back to, to my jobs before I went fully self-employed almost 20 years ago, and I loved all the stuff that I learned from them. I would not be the person and have the businesses that I do now if I hadn't learned those things, the good, the bad, the irritations,
2: mm-hmm.
1: so very vital stepping stone.
2: It is, whether you do it for two years and learn very fast or are on a – what they call GDP, so graduate development program, or the talent program, but however, how quickly you can learn as many lessons as possible and move around within that company. Not worry about promotion and pay, just get the experience of managing people. Uh, Team leadership the first couple of times is rocky for most people, at least for me it was very much so. Uh, And once you get those battle scars, you're more ready to be an entrepreneur, solopreneur.
1: Yeah, and some of the other lessons that I really liked, and I've been talking more to my girls about it because, like you said, they're teenagers and getting into this, but Not just the, the people management in that, but seeing how the systems run and how, what is the process that they're using and going through to make all the different vast parts work.
2: That's right. I mean, what I saw at UBS and Credit Suisse in those sort of 15 years was amazing. I mean, it's, I, I think the processes I saw, the products they were able to scale up, the way that they did excellence in terms of serving clients, it was amazing. Like we used to have this rule of thumb, never talk about money before you've met with a client 10 times.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, nobody does that. I mean, the the Swiss way of wealth managing was amazing, and um, I learned so much from it. And at the same time, working within that system and trying to launch new things is very difficult. So it's a it's a trade-off.
1: Yes. And... With you working with UBS and stuff, did you ever get to go into different international locations and stuff? Because one of the things that I've been learning, not so much personally because I've always been in Canada, but talking to people who have worked in in different companies in different parts of the world, the Japanese way of doing things is very different than the Swiss way of doing things versus the American way of doing things and how it all fits together and dealing with our very much international economies.
2: I mean, we were... I spent. Most of my time abroad, we were launching products in Hong Kong, uh, Singapore, uh, Germany, Sweden, the UK. So we we're all over the place. And what you learned when you when you get on the airplane and get over to a new place is um people are the same. But the entire system of how people work is different. For example, in Singapore, you don't leave the office at five or six p.m. You get in later and you stay until ten, eleven, and you eat together. And that's the way people work. It's a hardcore work culture. And if you don't do that, people don't trust you. Um, and each culture is, is very different, but what you can get out of it in terms of the creativity and bringing out new products is amazing. Like the Taiwanese are so slick with social media. If you look at Line and what they've done, mm. it's sort of 40 years ahead of Facebook, right? I mean, it's just, it's not copycat. It's actually way ahead.
1: <laughs> I'll have to check it out.
2: Yeah, Line is, is the Taiwanese one, like WeChat in China.
1: Hmm. See, I, I, I love learning about all the different things going on in different places because you can never figure it out all on your own.
2: Africa as well. If um, if any advisors are looking into cutting-edge tools on payments or wealth tech, look at Africa. Look at the startups there. My gosh. Because they have no infrastructure, the way that they develop a mobile product is totally different. They don't rely on servers. They don't rely on 5G, right? It's just built differently.
1: Yeah, it, with Africa, because, like I said, they don't have the infrastructure. They're 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 they've gone from they're basically f- skipping the first and second generation, going straight to third, because going through the steps of first and second are way too expensive.
2: <laughs> That's right, and no one can develop on those old languages on mainframes because there are none. So they just go front end and give a great product to end clients, mm-hmm. and if people adopt it, they survive and become the next generation of billionaires. It's it's um. The most fun continent for me to watch in terms of digital.
1: Well, I was, I was just talking to a client this morning and we were discussing business and, and money and all of the wonderful fun things. And what kept coming to my mind is, is Darwin's thing saying it's not the strongest that survive. It's the people that are most adaptable to change
2: nice the tree that bends
1: Yeah, the tree that the tree that bends and the one like the learning and seeing the opportunity like you said your friend that went for poli science was going into law and ended up going into technology because she saw something just off on the side and decided to run with it
2: yeah she felt it and that's like what we're trying to do with this product we have now is the emotional side of behavioral finance is so important eighty percent of the decisions people make whether it's about products or markets or the advisor themselves comes from their emotion, their experience in life and what they feel rather than what they can state on some MIFID driven FINRA form, right? And so capturing the emotional side of the financial relationship is super important, although people see it as extra, it's actually core.
1: Well, it is very much core. Every decision a person makes, no matter how much of an engineer they are, is made emotionally first and then we look for the facts to back up.
2: Totally. And the interesting part is that computers and I'm I'm in artificial intelligence or computer intelligence, machine learning, whatever you want to call it. The computers can see more in micro expression, body pose, um, object detection, people than than the people can see because they're faster and they can process it all at the same time based on other data. Whereas the person is limited to what they can focus their eyes on, which is sort of only three percent of where you're looking and the general context of your peripheral vision. And so to me, it's interesting to see what computers can do to advance the human agenda.
1: Which is scary in a lot of ways.
2: <laughs> no, it's not. For me, it's not ex machina. Like we don't believe that, for example, advisors are going to be replaced by robo advisors because the human connection is 80, 90 percent of why you work with an advisor like we just talked. So we're trying to you know, enhance that relationship rather than destroy it.
1: Oh, I'm yes, no. I, fu- I fully get that. I just keep. I'm a big uh, Terminator fan, dear.
2: <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember. I love that movie.
1: <laughs> Skynet.
2: Skynet, but we're so far away from general intelligence. Yep. That that's really not a threat. Um, you know, I I think that we'll have morals in place by then. There's a UN working group that I'm part of called um, uh, Artificial Intelligence uh, for Good, and it's sponsored by Elon Musk and uh, Peter Diamantis and the X Prize Foundation. Okay. And it's just about putting moral context around how we develop AI for applications that actually enhance human good.
1: Well, I'd love you to take the moral compass and put it into an awful lot of our current-day politicians.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a harder problem than the computers. I
1: I, th- I definitely believe that it is, but we can dream, dear. We can
0: dream.
2: <laughs> Keep dreaming. But I think in terms of the computer, we can get a lot of stuff out of it. For example... If someone's tired behind the wheel, why doesn't the car stop? Yeah. There's a sensor available on that car, and the edge computing in that car is powerful enough to stop that car. If it detects that there's teenagers rumbling around inside the car, that people are not focused, that they're staring at a phone, we can stop the cars today. So why aren't we? And that's that's our challenge is to get the use cases out there and save lives, make things better. Yeah
1: i'm i'm personally counting down to the self driving vehicles like fully self driving <laughs> you just get into your lovely little pod and it takes you where you need to be
2: i'm with you on that and also the non ownership aspect and all these empty garages will have like in the us two three car garages on houses mm-hmm. it's it's a big opportunity for this whole work from home thing right so covid will put a lot more offices full time into houses and you need to put your gym and your your office somewhere yep So I see the garage as a big space and that the cars come to you when you need them.
1: There's so many cool opportunities, and I can't wait to see whoever takes advantage of them. So for us to wrap up here, so with your two kids, if you could make sure that they learn three lessons about money before they go off into the big bad world on their own, what three lessons would you want your kids to know?
2: Number one, that offense is more important than defense. In other words, saving and restricting spending isn't important as your own opportunities in life. So spend a lot more time on your strengths and developing yourself as a person and following your passion and making business out of that passion. Whether you're a doctor or whatever you end up doing, be really be a really good one, as Abraham Lincoln said. Um, so not saving more than making. Um, and the second piece of advice would be, you know, really enjoy your life. Don't be cheap with yourself. Buy great food. Um, spend on what matters. Your health is the only thing you really have. And therefore, great health insurance, great diet, um, great health program in your life would be more important than, you know, saving some money on buying the cheaper chicken and eggs. Uh, And I'm not sure that I have a third lesson because for me, it's about being strong physically, mentally, and being impactful and spending your time with your family rather than 60 hours a week, 70 hours a week in some static office. So I hope to see them in a life like mine, um, which is hopefully aspirational and not sitting in an office all day.
1: Well, those are wonderful lessons, and you're definitely preaching to the choir with me on that. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to spend with us. It was great having you on the podcast.
2: Thank you, Tammy. It's a pleasure getting to know you. Thank you.
0: Before we leave each other, I would ask all of you listening to please subscribe to and rate my podcast. A review would be most appreciated and feedback is always welcome. Whether it be a comment, future topic suggestions, and or questions you or your kids would like to have answered in the Ask Tammy column on the financialfund.ca website. Please feel free to check me out on Facebook at Financial Foundations Children's Books, on Twitter at Financial Fun, and Instagram at Financial.fun.